MSW Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Thursday, October 14th, 2021. Today, the January 6th committee has subpoenaed former Trump DOJ official Jeffrey Clark. More evidence emerges that the insurrection was armed with firearms. The DHS secretary has ordered ICE to stop workplace raids. Southwest and American Airlines are defying Governor Abbott's ban on vaccine mandates. And some media outlets are getting it wrong on the Stormy Daniels hush money payment statute of limitations. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Hey, Dana, how are you? I'm good, my friend. How are you? I am good today. I'm good. We've got some good news uh, going on today. A lot of things in motion. So I'm excited about that. Uh, And you should be. You should also be very proud of your interview yesterday with Fiona Hill. I know everyone's been enjoying that. So well done, my friend. Well done. Thank you so much. She was, you know, a lot of that is credit to her. She's just, she's incredible to talk to. So, and she's a wonderful speaker. So I was happy and honored to be able to talk to her. It does make our job a lot easier when the person we're interviewing is actually good at what they do as well. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And later in the show, I'll be having a discussion with Editor at Mother Jones and author of the forthcoming book Trigger Points, Mark Fullman, on his latest story with Dan Friedman for Mother Jones about how there's more evidence emerging in the January 6th boots on the ground insurrection with regards to firearms being at the Capitol that day. And uh, as we know, Dana, you don't have to have firearms for it to be an armed insurrection. Correct. But, you know, Republicans are saying, oh, no, you got to have guns. Well, there's guns. So (laughs) more on that later in the show. We do have a lot of headlines, including a lot of good news in the headlines instead of just at the end of the show today. So let's hit it. Let's get the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. Top story today. Oddly, my script today had said that the January 6th committee plans to subpoena Jeffrey Clark. And then they (laughs) did it. (laughs) Jeffrey Clark, the Trump Department of Justice official that, by the way, Pennsylvania Congressman Scott Perry put in touch with Donald Trump, according to the recent Senate Judiciary report on the coup, has been subpoenaed by the January 6th committee. According to the subpoena, Clark has until October 29th to hand over documents and appear to testify before the committee. I think that's interesting because there's been a lot of speculation as to whether or not they could, you know, the committee could go ahead and file criminal contempt charges, referrals to the Department of Justice against Bannon because he defied his October 7th document request, but not yet has he defied the October 14th testimony request. And Mm -hmm. so maybe the confusion has sort of informed them. And now they're putting them both on the same day documents and appear for testimony on October 29th in the Jeffrey Clark case. The subpoena says, quote, the select committee's investigation has revealed credible evidence that you attempted to involve the Department of Justice in efforts to interrupt the peaceful transfer of power. You propose that the department send a letter to state legislatures in Georgia and other states suggesting that they delay certification and hold a press conference announcing that the department was investigating allegations of voter fraud. I did not realize these subpoenas are so specific. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Alleging. Announcing. Right. That's, so you know, good. we'd like you to do us a favor, though. And uh, as I said, today is the deadline. Thursday is the deadline for Bannon to appear to testify per his subpoena. If he does not, the select committee has said it will pursue criminal contempt charges. And let me first walk you through that process in case you think it can happen overnight. First, the committee has to draft a resolution saying Bannon violated the subpoena. Here's how. And that the House will hold him in contempt and file criminal referrals to the Department of Justice. Once that resolution is completed, they have to bring it to the House floor for a full vote on the House who has to pass it. (laughs) And then once it's passed, the committee then would draft the referrals and submit them to the Department of Justice. Then the Department of Justice would have to either impanel a grand jury or take this case to an existing grand jury and present it. And then the grand jury would have to decide and agree there is a crime here and indict Bannon. That could take a few days. (laughs) So I just want everybody to... (laughs) temper your expectations here. And, you know, I had argued uh, on Twitter that, you know, it it would be possible because the Bannon subpoena said documents by October 7th and testimony October 14th, 
that they probably didn't immediately make these criminal referrals or start the process to make the referrals after the October 7th deadline was missed. But because both his appearance for testimony and the document request were in the same subpoena, I said perhaps he has to violate both in order to violate the entirety of the subpoena. Let's wait a couple of days. It's better than risking losing the case or having it dismissed on a technicality, because if I were a judge, I would say, go back and make sure all your T's are crossed and your I's are dotted, because I don't want my shit overturned by a very conservative Supreme Court. Absolutely. So I think there are good arguments to be made to have done it on on the 7th of October, but there's a better argument to be made to wait a couple of days to make sure that you haven't, you know, that the case isn't going to be dismissed on a technicality. It does not mean that they can't draft the resolution because I think there's a really good chance they're going to need it. Let's be honest. I'm sure it's already done, as I'm sure the criminal referrals are. You know, I'm sure a lot. And there's probably already talks about when they're going to schedule the vote, provided uh, Bannon doesn't show up tomorrow. But if you indicted him today and he shows up tomorrow with documents ready to testify, you've put, you know, you've you've stepped on your own dick. We don't want to do that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I wanted to see if you were going to go there and you did. Oh, and I was watching it happen and I was like, no, this is going. OK, yep, there it is. And uh, in a quick related story, Biden has rejected an attempt by Donald to assert executive privilege over a second set of documents requested by a House panel investigating the coup. White House counsel Dana Remus said in a letter to the National Archives dated October 8th, but released today, it says President Biden considered Trump's request to assert executive privilege, (laughs) and then determined it is not in the best interest of the United States and therefore is not justified as to any of the documents provided to the White House on September 8th, 2021. (laughs) Accordingly, President Biden does not uphold the former president's assertion of privilege, Remus wrote. I like how they considered it. You know, I thought about it. The National Archives, as a result, will be required to turn over the documents as part of the investigation into January 6th, barring any legal intervention. And we'll see if that happens. It's kind of it seems like a race against the clock now. If they can get just get the shit handed over or started to be handed over. Yep. Before he files a lawsuit. Hey, we were just following the president's orders. He's in charge of executive privilege per an executive order. Obama wrote. Thank you and have a nice day. (laughs) Love it. All right. Moving on. We got Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro. Mayorkas on Tuesday issued a memo ordering U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement to stop mass worksite raids. This is a big deal. Mayorkas said the Biden administration would instead focus on pursuing employers, hire and take advantage of immigrants without work authorizations rather than the employees. Hmm. Really good decision. DHS said in the memo that it's also considering options to offer Protection from deportation for undocumented immigrants who witness or are victims of, quote, abusive or exploitable labor practices. That's so good. It really is, because that means people won't be in such fear. DHS is asking ICE, U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, and U.S. Customs and Border Protection to submit plans within 60 days for the agencies to address employers' abusive treatment of immigrant employees. Mayorkas writes... Quote, we will not tolerate unscrupulous employers who exploit unauthorized workers, conduct illegal activities, or impose unsafe working conditions. Employers engaged in illegal acts compel the focus of our enforcement resources. By adopting policies that focus on the most unscrupulous employers, we will protect workers as well as legitimate American businesses. Yeah. And I think they should probably maybe go look at Mar-a-Lago. I mean, I'm just saying. That's so good. And and I mean, you know, I just have that image of that gif of that little baby. Yeah. Yeah, know, totally. <laughs> my head. <laughs> yes. It is this such is a good so, news story. So good. So good. And I wanted to talk a minute about multiple news outlets today including the Daily Beast and Raw Story, who have headlines saying that if the Southern District of New York doesn't indict Trump before October 29th for the Stormy Daniels hush money payment case, the statute of limitations will expire and we should all descend on the Department of Justice with pitchforks and torches. Paraphrasing. None of them, however, are mentioning the fact that they're probably wrong. I have, I'm looking at it right now, a photo of a check written by Donald to Michael Cohen On August, I think, 1st, 2017. Now, as you know, Dana, the statute of limitations clock doesn't start ticking until the crime stops happening. Right. The payback 
and and classifying it as legal expense, which is falsifying a business record, is part of the scheme, mm-hmm. the hush money payment scheme. And so I contend that the statute of limitations doesn't expire until at least August of 2022, next year, like a, a little less than a year from now. Now, do you want to go ahead and rely on that as part of your case? Maybe, maybe not. But if you're not done investigating what I would do, and I'm not a lawyer, <laughs> and I don't work, I'm not a prosecutor, I don't work with Southern District of New York, but from what I've seen in the past, I would go ahead and file an indictment under seal before October 29th this month, mm-hmm. just in case. Absolutely. And then continue your investigation. And then if it, if it pans out, then go ahead and release the indictment. You have officially stopped the clock on the statute of limitations with an under seal indictment if you want to. But I just want to let everybody know that the end is not nigh. So I just, yeah, it's kind of, but again, <laughs> just in case I might file that indictment under seal. Just, I just know. don't understand why we need more evidence because someone already went to prison for this. Like Michael Cohen went to prison for this. It's not like he went to prison for something like this. He went to prison for this fucking case. Yeah. And, uh, but they would have to go back to court because they closed the case. Yes. It's a little harder to reopen a case than it is to just pick up a case where you left off. Uh-huh. They would have to actually reopen, but maybe a little higher standard, maybe a little extra T crossing and I dotting. But I am with you. I think that this needs to be an indictment. I think the obstruction of justice in the volume two of Mullery needs to be an indictment. I don't know why those haven't happened yet. I'm just saying we have a little more time than some might be leading you to believe. I agree. I agree. And I would like to end with, like you said, another good news story. We got Texas-based companies, Southwest Airlines and American Airlines. They both said Tuesday they will keep in place COVID-19 vaccine requirements for their employees. That's defying an order from Governor Greg Abbott. As we know, he's trying to ban all vaccine mandates, including for private businesses. So Southwest CEO Gary Kelly, he told ABC News earlier Tuesday that while he doesn't personally agree with the mandating vaccines, his company will do its, quote, best to comply, not sure what that means, with President Biden's order. That requires companies get their employees inoculated or risk losing lucrative federal contracts. So Mm -hmm. the company at the center of controversy over the mass cancellation of its flights over the weekend disruptions rumored to be linked to the internal vaccine protests, later told Forbes in a statement it would follow with the federal order to remain compliant as a federal contractor. Now, that was Southwest Airlines. Now, American Airlines, which is based in Fort Worth, Texas, is the biggest airline in the nation, said it's reviewing Abbott's order, but similarly believes Biden's mandate supersedes any conflicting state laws. There's 172,000 employees. That's about how many people collectively work for American and Southwest. That's according to Bloomberg. 172,000 combined employees. Mm. That's a lot of people. Mm. Yeah, Dana, I have a vague recollection of saying yesterday that this would boil down to the federal government contracts and the supremacy clause. Absolutely. Beans come true. I hope Texas tries to sue. Although I imagine the Department of Justice would then ask to enjoin the ban on vaccine mandates and the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals would refuse to block Abbott just like they stayed the block on SB8. I'm thinking way down the road. But you know what? If they block it long enough for people to get the fucking vaccine, I don't give a shit. No (laughs) kidding. (laughs) Oh, uh, the question is moot, as they would say. They'll probably get up to the Supreme Court and they're like, yeah, is everybody already vaccinated? Yep. Yeah, okay. Never mind. It's moot. By the way, did you see the numbers on the NHL? No, I haven't seen the NHL. Oh, my God. Hockey, 99 percent. 99 percent. I think they said there's only like a uh, like a handful of either players or employees that haven't gotten vaccinated. Ninety nine percent. Anyway, hockey players are badasses, man. I I love hockey players. I love me some hockey players. Take a stick in the face, lose a tooth. They're like, yeah, (laughs) jab my arm with that shit. I'm fine. Because, you know, that would be the argument, right? Like, (laughs) really? Hockey? And you're afraid of it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think the military is up in the 90 percent, although the Marines are lagging behind. I think they're only at like 68 percent, which is interesting. Come on, shipmates, get your shit together. All right. New evidence is emerging that more people at the insurrection actually had firearms. And joining me to discuss is reporter and editor at Mother Jones and author of the forthcoming book called Trigger Warnings, Mark Fullman. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and I want to thank BetterHelp for sponsoring The Daily Beans. BetterHelp is a premier provider of online therapy, and their counselors can help give you the tools to deal with any issue you might be facing. Because of my experience with post-traumatic stress and anxiety, I know it's better to seek assistance than to try to do it by yourself. 
Facing things alone is is really hard. And so is asking for help. But BetterHelp makes it easy. You can message your counselor at any time from anywhere in the world and you get timely responses. And you can schedule weekly meetings by phone or video. And it's more affordable than traditional counseling and financial aid is available. And to get that great therapeutic match, they make changing counselors free and easy. So visit BetterHelp's website and read testimonials like this one by user MY, who says, I felt that Lesha understood what I'm going through and she gave me the right tools and mindset to feel more confident and positive about myself. It was definitely a much needed help at the time of a dire mental breakdown. I will be happy to work with her again. So visit BetterHelp.com slash Daily Beans. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Daily Beans. And you can join the over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Special offer for Daily Beans listeners. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Daily Beans. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Joining me today is editor at Mother Jones and author of the forthcoming book called Trigger Points. Please welcome Mark Fullman. Hi, Mark. How are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? I'm really good. I'm glad you're joining us today. This is your first time on The Daily Beans, though we have reported on some of your uh, investigation into what we're going to talk about today because we've been following it, right? And this is, you know, the big story from that was this, you know, cache of weapons across the Potomac in a D.C. hotel. And uh, we've been following that very closely. But today you wrote a piece with Dan Friedman for Mother Jones about evidence that continues to emerge, showing that this was actually an armed insurrection in the face of a lot of congressional Republicans who claim otherwise, even though, and I want to be clear, a firearm isn't required for there to be an armed insurrection. But if we're going to go by their definition, (laughs) we have evidence of that coming out in court filings. Can you briefly tell us about your first piece from the end of September? And then what's new today that you're reporting? Yeah. So just to kind of give you the big picture, you know, there's there's this kind of bigger narrative war going on about the January 6th insurrection, right, in, in politics and, and this um, widespread and concerted attempt to essentially cover it up, bury it, whitewash it by the Republican Party and, and Trump allies and Fox News and, you know, the whole the whole crew, right? So, um, you know, for really since the beginning, since it happened back in January, there's been this, um, you know, constant uh, sort of you know, talk about how, oh, it was a tourist visit, one congressman said, and, and, you know, this was no big deal. And there was a few bad apples. I mean, they've tried really sort of every kind of trick in the book. Well, a key claim among those, those, uh, that narrative that they've been spinning ever since January 6th is that there were no guns at the Capitol. And as you pointed out, you know, there were all kinds of weapons there. I mean, we've all seen the video, right? There are hockey sticks and, and baseball bats and chemical spray. Um, there was, all kinds of violence going on there. Horrible, horrible day in, in American history. Uh, but there were also guns. And that's another part of this kind of big lie about the uh, 2020 election and, and what's happened since. And so uh, we started to focus on this with our investigative reporting a few months ago, you know, as we started to see bits of evidence about firearms, um, in particular, the, the Oath Keepers alleged conspiracy case that you mentioned, uh, where there was allegedly this group of, of from this um, far-right militia organization that brought a whole stockpile of guns to a hotel just outside of downtown D.C. Uh, and then there were a number of other cases that were coming up as the Justice Department and FBI started arresting hundreds of people for their participation in the events of January 6th, right? Uh, and within those cases, we started to see evidence of guns um, on the Capitol grounds that day among some people who, who were arrested um, and then other people connected to, to the events of that day. Yeah. And and some of the things that are coming out more recently since you're reporting on September 30th, which is, uh, you know, what you're kind of covering in this new piece is uh, a defendant named Brown. Can you tell us a little bit about him? I mean, not an ordinary defendant here. Well, I shouldn't say that there were a lot of U.S. veterans and some congressional candidates at the at the insurrection. But but he is a former military and and also a former U.S. congressional candidate or U.S. congressional candidate or Florida congressional candidate Uh, for for U.S. Congress. Correct. Yeah, Uh, Mm -hmm. I believe it's Florida's 14th district. So, right. I mean, there's in a in a kind of overarching sense, there, there are two sort of categories of people, I think, that you could talk about who were. Um, involved in January 6th. And we're talking about there were hundreds, and if not thousands of people on the Capitol grounds that day as this was all going down. Um, I think it was estimated to be about 800 who actually went in the Capitol building itself. But there were many, many more, you know, thousands on the grounds in this mob. Um, You know, there were a lot of people who were, I think, what you might characterize as sort of ordinary Americans, ordinary citizens, right, Um, who had been caught up in in this mass delusion, these lies about the 2020 election. 
But then there were also, you know, these subsets of people who were, you know, had more, I think, what you might call specialized backgrounds, people from law enforcement or uh, the military, whether active duty or veterans. Um, there are actually quite a few in the mix, as we've learned over time with, with these hundreds of, of cases of people arrested. And so the person you're talking about is just the, the latest. This person, Jeremy Brown from Florida, um, is another self-identified oath keeper, part of this militia organization. Um, there are, are dozens of folks affiliated with that group who were involved in January 6th. Um, and are, uh, a number of them were arrested and charged in this uh, ongoing conspiracy case that's been pr pretty high profile. That's part of this story. Uh, but this latest case came on our radar because... Um, this member from Florida, who was a, a longtime uh, special forces veteran from the U.S. Army, interesting case has has no criminal history, as the judge noted in a recent detention ruling, and uh, you know had served honorably in the military. But here he is um, with these sort of radicalized views of of um, taking on the U.S. government, and he, like other oath keepers, um, according to FBI evidence provided in these criminal complaints, you know planned and communicated with others about going to Washington for January 6th, brought guns with him, according to the government, uh, did not bring those guns to the Capitol. Um, the FBI complaint says that he left them with uh, some unidentified individuals in Virginia. So we don't know if it connects necessarily to that other Oath Keepers case that's ongoing. But yeah, this was a person who, you know, um, you look at his history and then you look at what he sort of became in his alleged actions. And it's 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 uh, quite interesting and, and frankly disturbing to see to see what came of it. Yeah. And I think he was looking for wasn't he looking for him and his lawyers looking for pretrial release. But the judge, I think, had other ideas. Talk a little bit about that, because from my understanding, this isn't his only issue. Right. There's some other things going on in Florida with threats to law enforcement or something. Right. So the, the government alleges that and this is an interesting sort of uh, development in his case uh, where he was identified on capital grounds and was facing charges in, in the district court in D.C. for uh, disorderly conduct and uh, being on capital grounds unlawfully like everyone else who was there that day who's, who's been charged. Um, but then further investigation in Florida, the federal agents uh, say in this complaint against him there in the middle district of Florida that they found number of weapons in his home, um, including unregistered firearms, a, a sawed-off shotgun, and a, a, a kind of semi-automatic rifle that would need to be registered under federal law, uh, military-grade hand grenades. And then there was also, so in this recent detention hearing where these details were coming out, the judge was also looking at evidence of a sign he had allegedly posted on his home, kind of um, in the view of prosecutors threatening law enforcement agency, agencies, the FBI and, and others saying, essentially, um, I think the, the line on it was, you better bring a bigger tactical package, meaning apparently, you know, if you're going to come arrest me, you're going to need more force. Um, so the judge ruled that, that he viewed that as, as a threat and that between that and, and the weapons in the home and this person's military background, that he was too dangerous to release. So he's, he's currently remaining in jail uh, pending his trial. Wow. There are a number of cases like this related to January 6th. People who, you know, even afterwards, as this story was really unfolding in, in the press and, and with the government starting to work this sprawling set of cases, people who were, you know, still bragging about what they'd done and threatening to do more, making threats about violence in the future, um, in some cases having firearms in their home in violation of pretrial orders from a judge. Um, so there's this whole issue, too, of this ongoing danger or ongoing threat from people who, who still uh, apparently believe in, in these lies about the election and about the government and, and are perhaps thinking of, of doing more. Um, January 6th was not an isolated event in that sense. This is very much an ongoing story, in my view. Yeah. And and in your article here from Mother Jones, you say that there are other ongoing developments. And I want to ask you about those. And I also want to ask you about your book, because that kind of ties into what we're talking about. But I do have to take a quick break. Will you stay with me? Sure. Thanks, everybody. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. It's AG with the beans. And this portion of the show is brought to you by Hunter Douglas. We all want to live well, to be relaxed in our space and at ease, living in comfort and style. And Hunter Douglas can help you do that with their innovative window shade designs, gorgeous fabrics, and control systems that are so advanced, they can be scheduled and programmed to automatically adjust to their optimal position throughout the day. Their shades diffuse harsh sunlight to cast a beautiful glow across your room. 
You can enjoy the view while protecting your privacy inside. Plus, the superior insulation that these shades provide keep you warm in winter and cool in summer, which lowers your utility bills, which helps by, you know, reducing strain on our electrical grids and safe, good for the planet. You can experience that Goldilocks moment when you walk into a room and everything just looks and feels right. With Hunter Douglas's PowerView technology, your shades can be set automatically to reposition for the perfect balance of light, privacy, and insulation morning, noon, and night. Check out all custom window blinds, shades, shutters, and draperies on their website. And wait till you see how Hunter Douglas window treatments transform the light in your home, elevating everyday living and defining the mood of your space. So live beautifully with Hunter Douglas, enjoying greater convenience, enhanced style, increased comfort in your home throughout the day. Visit HunterDouglas.com slash DailyBeans today to take advantage of the Season of Style Rebate Savings event. That's HunterDouglas.com slash DailyBeans for limited time savings. Offer expires December 6, 2021. And today's show is also brought to you by Bowl and Branch. Entrepreneurs can have a gigantic impact on the world and local and global scales as well. Bowl and Branch started with a mission to produce the highest quality sheets on the market and make the world a better place in the process. Today, they're still the best choice of anyone who wants comfort that lasts, uh, so we're not filling our landfills. Bowl and Branch's ultra soft organic sheets are transparently sourced too, and they're made to a higher standard with toxin free processes and fair trade certification to ensure workers are paid fair living wages. There are no middlemen between you and Bullet Branch, so you get luxury quality for the fairest price. And best of all, Bullet Branch is continuously building a fairer and better supply chain for the improvement of the entire future textile industry. Their sheets come in a variety of colors and sizes, from twin to Cal King. I love my Bullet Branch sheets. They're buttery soft. They're luxurious. They have a magnificent drape and a silken texture. The Cloudweight Super Soft Sateen Weave gets softer with every wash. Bowling Branch stands behind their products and they honor a 30-night worry-free guarantee if you're unsatisfied. To experience an entirely new standard of comfort, visit BowlingBranch.com. You can get 15% off your first set of sheets with promo code DAILYBEANS, all one word, at checkout. That's Bowling Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D-B-R-A-N-C-H.com, promo code DAILYBEANS. Everybody, welcome back. We are talking with an editor at Mother Jones who dropped a piece today, also author of the forthcoming book Trigger Points. Mark Fullman. And Mark, before the break, I had uh, hinted at some further developments that you cover in this piece that came out today, particularly including issues related to Samsel and Joe Biggs. Listeners should be familiar with those names by now. Can you tell us about what you're learning in those two particular cases? Sure. Yeah, I think it's worth also pointing out that, you know, th- this picture of, of firearms that we've been developing in, in connection with January 6th, it's, it's pretty broad based, right? There's a variety of cases that these kind of far right groups and, and conspiracy cases that, that this ties into. And then there's some individuals, too, who've, who've had evidence of, of guns or are facing weapons charges uh, in relation to January 6th. And the, the latest to uh, come on our, on our radar as we've looked into this includes a case of a guy named Ryan Samsel, who you mentioned, who um, was charged with assaulting police, among other things, at the Capitol, and is not apparently affiliated with the Proud Boys, but did interact, as we know from footage that's been on social media, did interact with Joe Biggs, who's one of the leaders of the Proud Boys group. And so it came out in, in a recent court filing that uh, Samsel apparently told FBI investigators that Biggs had a gun at the Capitol, that he flashed it at him as he was urging him to basically confront the police defending the Capitol grounds. Biggs denies this, or his lawyer denied this in, in a New York Times report, said that these allegations are false. Biggs is not facing gun charges. But this is just, I think, uh, emblematic of a lot of the things we're finding coming up in these cases now, where you see these details that suggest a lot more people may have been armed. It's hard to know definitively. There's not enough evidence for them to be charged, apparently. It, it, there may be. We don't know. Uh, but this also aligns with something else that we reported on in this series of stories, which is that you have testimony from law enforcement agents who were involved in January 6th, uh, dealing with this on the grounds and, and, and surrounds of the Capitol, who have all said uh, that they believe that there were quite a lot of firearms among this crowd in, in backpacks and stashed, you know, con- concealed carry situations. Um, and they felt that they couldn't do anything about it. They were terribly outnumbered. And they were also very worried, according to their testimony, that that if they were more aggressive with these armed extremists or these suspected armed extremists, that they would set off this just perilous violence in, in which, you know, it was not going to go well for anyone and especially not for them. So ultimately, we won't know how many guns 
were there, but we know that there were far more than zero. Um, and we're seeing more and more of this coming out. Yeah. And it's and it's shocking almost that this did not turn into a mass casualty event because of what is being uncovered as time goes by. Thanks to, you know, reporting like yours in Mother Jones. I really recommend everybody follow you on Twitter at Mark Fullman, Mark with a K, Fullman, F-O-L-L-M-A-N. I just want to say, too, that I think you're right about that point. I mean, I can't be emphasized enough. This this event was on the precipice of something just far, far worse. And I'm not sure that a lot of the public appreciates that. And that's part of this war for the narrative that's ongoing, right? That, oh, this was no big deal, or it was sort of a tourist event or whatever. A lot of people are buying that. But if you look closely at these criminal cases, dozens, even hundreds of criminal cases, if you look at the footage from that day, if you listen to the testimony, this this could, I mean, as dark as it was, it was a terrible day in American history. People died. A lot of people got hurt. We watched the foundation of our democracy being shaken. But as you say, this could have been a, a mass attack easily, a, a, an event of mass violence, in part because a lot of people were armed. Yeah. And then on the other side, how close we came to people like Jeffrey Clark and John Eastman and uh, people in the Oval Office, including Donald Trump, how close they came to being able to just have Pence throw out electors for certain states, seven specific states and try to try to do it that way. This is a multiple front attack. Right. I think you started with the bloodless coup attempt, right? Mm -hmm. And then what happened after that was the beginning of a bloody coup attempt. Yeah, agreed. Uh, Agreed. And speaking of these kind of mass casualty events, you have a book coming out that's available for pre-order. There's a, a link in your Twitter bio and it's called Trigger Points. And it's about it's the inside story of specialized teams of forensic psychs, FBI agents, and, uh, you know, teams that stop mass shootings and are stopping mass shootings. Can you tell us about it comes out in April? But uh, again, as I said, you can pre-order it now, get your copy and tell us tell us what prompted you to write this book and sort of how it ties into. I mean, right now, the, the gun violence problem in America, as evidenced in, in what we're seeing in January 6th unfold, but just, you know, in general, all, you know, and I'm wondering if that's sort of what prompted you to, to get on this book. Yeah, well, I, I'm very excited about Trigger Points um, coming out soon. I've been working on this book for years. Um, in some sense, I started it almost a decade ago when I began uh, focusing in large part on mass shootings, the problem of mass shootings in the United States. And I built a database on them. It was one of the first kind of public databases um, of these attacks and started hearing about this uh, method of prevention called behavioral threat assessment, which at the time, you know, this is back in 2013, was very little known, hadn't really been written about. I I did a story on it uh, for Mother Jones in 2015 for for, for our magazine. And the more that I learned about it and looked into it, the more I was seeing that this was a really interesting and potentially very powerful strategy and and method for dealing with this problem um, beyond the gun debate, which is an important debate. We all are, I think, familiar with the contours of it. And it's an ongoing, very intense discussion that, you know, I think has taken a lot of time to make progress on. And I think it's also very frustrating for a lot of people. And that's one of the things that inspired me to really go deep on this subject and write a book about it. Because here, you know, over here is this whole other solution, potential solution that people really don't know about, and I think should. Um, so I started getting to know uh, some of the pioneers of this field and and leading practitioners and learning about cases where they were stopping attacks. Um, and it's very interesting territory because you know you don't know in a certain sense that you've actually stopped an attack if one doesn't occur. Mm. But on the other hand, there are many many threat cases where there was a high level of danger in the view of of these experts. Um, And these are collaborative groups of of primarily mental health and law enforcement experts. And uh, depending on the setting and, you know, in school systems, you're talking about educators and and school counselors and psychologists in the corporate world, you have HR directors and security people of that nature. Um, There's a lot of this going on in the government, the federal government and state governments. So these groups of experts work together in a multidisciplinary capacity to essentially intervene and and get help to people who need it before they go down what they call this pathway to violence, which is planning and carrying out targeted attacks. And that's what mass shootings are. Mm -hmm. Part of what I do in the book is I debunk some of these big myths that we have about this problem. One is this idea that people snap and that, that, that they're all crazy mass shooters. That's just not true. All of these cases 
to some degree, more in some than others, but but in all cases, to some degree, are planned. Um, and and because they're planned, there is an opportunity to intervene before that plan is carried out. So it's a matter of learning the behavioral warning signs and intervening in, in constructive ways to try to stop it. And that's what the book's really all about. And I think we've seen in the media some cases of, of mass shootings being foiled using behavioral threat assessment techniques. And, and so, you know, I, I hopefully, I mean, as we parallel in parallel fight, you know, for common sense gun laws, hopefully we can apply other solutions as well and come at it, in a, you know, from uh, multiple fronts. That's right. I, I see it very much as an additive solution to sensible regulation and, and other aspects of the issue. You know, this is a very complex problem and a complex problem, surprise, surprise, requires complex solutions, right? Um, so while the discussion and the debate over gun regulations is very important, it's not the only aspect of this problem that needs to be addressed. Um, and I think that there's a lot of of promise and hope in, in this other work. I've seen it firsthand. I've, I've spent time with threat assessment teams working cases successfully. I write about those in the book. And toward the end of the book, I do address some of the evolving threat issues that we're facing in our country, uh, including politically driven ones, uh, which we've seen a real rise in in recent years. I mean, this problem has always been around violent extremism, but I think we're experiencing it in a way now that is certainly heightened. You know, there are other times you can look at in modern history where these things were going on and, and causing a lot of problems, but there's no doubt we're in a phase like that now. And I think in some ways, January 6th was an extraordinary kind of new version of that. And so the way that ideological extremism and political extremism drives violent, violent attacks and planned violence, whether it's a, a lone actor or a group or small groups, disparate groups, what have you, this method, behavioral threat assessment, is also potentially a very powerful tool there as well. Um, so I do talk about that some at the end of the book. So we're talking about, I think, potentially a solution that can scale in our country to help with everything from school shootings to, you know, this kind of political violence we see in the streets or, um, you know, focusing on elections or focusing on school boards or the pandemic. All of these things intersect in some really interesting and, and vital ways. Yeah. And I'm, I'm hoping that a lot of the cooperation agreements that we're seeing with some of the more conspiratorial January 6th defendants will add to the body of knowledge on how to utilize behavioral threat assessment to stop these things and how to understand recruitment techniques and activities. I think it's very important. I know I know a lot of people are very frustrated with people not going to prison for 10 years. But some of this, I think, intelligence is going to be invaluable in how we deal with shootings and extremist violence going forward. Absolutely. And I think ultimately understanding human behavior. I mean, this is based in behavioral science, this, this method, and, and that, that research is what supports this work. And it's a growing field. And I think uh, with good reason, it's, you know, as, as much as it's tempting to look at perpetrators of, of attacks, of mass violence, or of uh, an insurrection as, as the enemy or as monsters or you know, people we can't relate to, that's really not true. I mean, these are human beings. And if we start to understand their behavior better, we have a better chance of changing it, of preventing it. And that's, that's another uh, theme of this book that I think is really important. Um, it's too easy to get mired in anger and, and, and frustration and resignation that things are terrible and they're not going to change. This is very much, a, I think, a more constructive approach to some of these problems. Yeah, agreed. Well, I really appreciate your time today. Everybody, the piece in Mother Jones is called Evidence from Armed Trump Extremists Continues to Emerge in January 6 Cases. And the book is available now for pre-order. It's called Trigger Points. And I appreciate your time today. Mark Fullman, thanks for joining me. Thanks a lot for having me. It's great to talk to you. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey, everybody. It's AG and this Helping of the Beans is brought to you by Chili Sleep. Chili, beans, they go together. Anyway, it's proven that lowering our core body temperature is the best method for achieving deep sleep and maintaining it. Temperature controlled sleep helps restore testosterone levels. It repairs muscles and it improves cognitive function. So you wake up feeling sharp and alert. Chili Sleep makes customizable climate controlled sleep solutions that help you improve your entire well-being. Chili Sleep makes the Uller and Cube sleep systems, which are hydro-powered, temperature-controlled mattress toppers that fit over your existing mattress to provide your ideal sleep temperature. Uh, I was hoping they were filled with chili. No, I'm kidding. 
Well, they're, they're, they're the scientists, I guess. Uh, the luxury mattress pads keep your bed at the perfect temperature. They really do. I love mine. So I get deep sleep. Um, you know, and this is true whether you sleep hot or cold. You know, I sleep hot, but they're amazing. They regulates it. And these sleep systems are designed to help you fall asleep and stay asleep. And they give you confidence and energy to power through your day. I mean, imagine waking up and not feeling tired. It's incredible. Chilly sleep can help make it happen. You know, I sleep super hot and chilly sleep has been amazing for me. I've been sleeping much better already. Uh, dreaming of tasty chili. I'm just kidding. Head over to chillysleep.com slash beans. That's C-H-I-L-I sleep.com slash beans to learn more and check out a special offer available exclusively for Daily Beans listeners and only for a limited time. That's chillysleep.com slash beans, C-H-I-L-I, and take advantage of our exclusive discount and wake up refreshed every day. Today's show is also brought to you by Scribd. Do you ever spend more time browsing for entertainment than actually enjoying it? I waste so much time trying to pick out a new book or a magazine or an audiobook, but Scribd makes choosing my next book quicker and easier. With Scribd, you get instant access to millions of ebooks, audiobooks, magazines, along with thoughtfully curated editor's picks and smart recommendations based on what you've read. Scribd is the ultimate reading subscription service. It lets you explore all of your interests in any format you choose ebooks, audiobooks, magazines, dissertations scientific papers. I get a lot of court documents on Scribd. And it's all for just $9.99 a month. You get the entire library for less than a cost of a single book. No complicated credits that you have to worry about expiring or no additional purchases are required. Uh, if you're not sure what to read, Scribd combines the latest technology with the best human minds to recommend content that you'll love. Specifically, it's catered to you. And if you want to change things up, you're free to switch between titles and genres or formats at any time on your phone, tablet, or computer, wherever you're reading. Right now, we're offering listeners of this program a free 60-day trial. Go to try.scribd.com slash dailybeans for your free trial. That's try.scribd, S-C-R-I-B-D dot com slash dailybeans to get 60 days of Scribd for free. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we're blown on good news. It's on the way. And the good news today is brought to you by me and Dana. It is. <laughs> That's who we're, who we're sponsoring the good news today. It's mm. it's us. Hello. And if you have any good news, corrections, confessions, photos you want to share, pod pet tax, happy places, what the mutt, MSW Hallelujah Project, you can send them all into us by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. Please remember to rate us and give us a review on Apple Podcasts if you can. It really helps us because it helps the show get heard by more people and it helps us out chart the fascists, right? Like the more people subscribe to this podcast, pick up your mom's phone, just subscribe. That's all you got to do. On her behalf. But that helps us, uh, you know, get, get the fascists off the lists. And we can also do that by buying Mary Trump's book and Fiona Hill's book and, you know, just supporting rad people. All right, I'm going to kick us off with a submission from Carol, pronoun she and her. Love the Fiona Hill interview. Thank you. As a glass, as a gl- Glaswegian. Okay. Yeah. But I'm like Glasgow. Jidwin? I know, okay. but I would not. If you had a gun to my head, not in a million <laughs> years would I have thought this was the pronunciation of what you're about to say. As a Glaswegian, I can tell you the correct pronunciation of Milngavi. Ah, remember we were like, it's probably Mingavi or something. Uh-huh. It's Milgai. All right. There's M-I- a lot of silent letters in there. <laughs> M-I-L-N-G-A-V-I-E is Milgai. All right. I've never heard a silent V. Well, I'm making this because you wouldn't hear anything silent, but I've never heard of a silent V. Love the beans. Although I'm across the pond, the ripples travel over with so worth paying attention to. For my pet tax, meet George, the font of all ginger gorgeousness. Font as in fountain. I love it. And Misty, our pandemic puss who we adopted last year, aged 13, when her elderly mom sadly passed away. They bonded instantly. Keep up the good work, girls. Look at this Aww. pose. Look at the pose. <laughs> yes. Did, yes. Did you need me? Oh, look at the last picture of the kissing. Oh, my goodness. Puppy kitty kisses. Adorbs. So sweet. Thank you so much for that. And the, the slight correction. Mama Bear. This is her Mama Bear pronoun. She and her submissions for shit kids say. Over the last year, <laughs> we went from one doghouse to adding three hens Chewbacca, which is hilarious. Bach is capitalized. Chewbacca, Attila the Hen, and Reese Featherspoon. I fucking <laughs> love. <laughs> I can't handle this. These are the best chicken names. They're the best. And recently adding two kittens, brothers Grim and 
Ichi. Mm. This Sunday, my four-year-old Millie sang Old MacDonald, unprompted, how she thinks the words go. And they're pretty perfect. Oh my God, we have a farm. E-I-E-I-O. <laughs> perfect. That is You're pretty right. perfect. That is yep. perfect. For tax, our youngest Millie, with our seven-year-old Pibble, Keiju. He's the sweetest boy who just wants to be around his kids, keeps stray cats from his hens, and is desperately trying not to appear like he wants the kittens to love him as much as he wants to love them. Progress is slowly being made. Second photo, Grim and Ichi curled up on my husband. Dad's two days after the pet, they say they never wanted comes home. Am I right? Yeah. I love that when dads are like, no, we don't need another pet. And he's like, I got to take a week off to spend time with this thing. <laughs> look at this pebble and look at these kitties. Oh, Aww. see, I have a void black kitty and a tuxedo kitty. They're going to be the awesomest. Reese Featherspoon. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Chewbacca. Oh, man. Bark, bark, Chewbacca. I love it. All right. Next up from Tamara, pronouns she and her. Hey, Beans Queens. Thank you for all you do. Just wanted to share my favorite shit kids say story. I was asking my daughter about six years old at the time what she wanted for her birthday. She said she wanted a radio. Weird. I know. But stay with me. I pointed out to her that she already owned a radio inside the Barbie radio house. Yes, it was a thing that I got her for Christmas. Aha, she exclaimed. I knew Santa was fake. And that you were the one that got it for me. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Whoops. Whoops. What a trickster. I admit it was a mom fail moment by forgetting that I had dressed up the big gift for Santa to get credit. I stuttered and fumbled trying to save face and say I was just confused. Of course, Santa's real. He used different wrapping paper and everything. Alas, no way was she buying it. I figured the jig was up, but I had to ask, well, if you don't believe in Santa, what about the Easter bunny? She looked at me horrified and said, of course, the Easter bunny is real. (laughs) For all the headaches of raising kids, these are the stories I revisit when I ask myself what the hell I was thinking when I chose to have kids. (laughs) 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 Anywho, keep the good things coming from the awesome MSW universe. And thanks for choosing love. Thank you. That is so funny. Oh, my God. Of course, the Easter bunny is real. Oh, my God. She so set you up for that. I love that I get this submission. Anonymous, pronouns she and her. You requested, so I'm obliging. Here is my contribution to submit anything. Cats and hats. Part of my job for Cat Shelter and Sanctuary was to serve as the organization's photographer. On occasion, I would do special photo shoots. Here are a few from the Halloween shoot, adding a little pumpkin spice to your day. Thank you for all you do. I owe much of my mental well-being to your swears, your laughter, and most of all, the grounding you bring to the hyperbolic headlines of our times. Look at these fucking pictures. (laughs) Cats in hats. This is a good new game. Send us your cats in hats. (gasps) The second one. They don't know. know. Okay, the third one, actually. They don't even seem mad about this. (laughs) These are so The ears go through the top of the pumpkin, people. It's their knitted pumpkin hats. The ears are through the top. (laughs) And they tie under the chin. Tie under the chin. And the third one is just like, I'm going to wear this. Salvador is like, fuck this. And that second one, that looks like Americone Dream, right? Ca- caramel and fudge and vanilla ice cream. That's Amazing. what it that looks like to me. Oh, these are so cute. Thank you for that submission. Next up is Kirsten in PA, pronouns she and her. Hi, Leguminati. Good news. I'm one of a bunch of listeners you have in Bucks County. Yes, we love Bucks County. We're in PA01, PA1, the only district left in Southeast PA with a Republican representative. I think it's Fitzpatrick. Uh, I might be wrong. Don't be fooled. Aha, you'll all see Fitzpatrick is doing his Problem Solvers Caucus press rounds with various Democratic bipartisanship props like Josh Gottheimer. He's no moderate. He's truly a terrible rep. But enough about that, jerk. I promise the good news. Here it is. We finally have declared a candidate running against him. Her name is Ashley Ehaz. Uh, she is a veteran having flown Apache helicopters. She's young and really impassioned when she talks about reproductive choice, growing up poor, and she is owning her anger. She said in her campaign announcement, being angry at a system designed to hold us down is the only way things change. Color me impressed. There will be a Democratic primary here in PA1, but Ashley is the first out of the gate, and I'm thrilled that we finally have someone to promote to beat bought and sold Brian. 
uh, since he was the third highest money earner in the House for the last reported quarter behind only Matt Gates and Jim Jordan. She has a tough road ahead, and I hope folks will find her Act Blue account. We'll share it in the show notes, by the way, secure.actblue.com slash donate slash ehas dash website dash donate. We'll have the link for you in the show notes. P.S. for pet tax, I've included two shots of our long dog honey in a hoodie. Long dog. Your guess is as good as ours or what mix she is. We'll get her DNA done eventually. <laughs> it is a oh long dog. <laughs> so cute. It's like a corgi, but with a like a chihuahua and a greyhound. She's adorable. She really is adorable. I like her sweater with the with the pockets too. Sweater with the pockets. It's a hoodie with pockets, although it's on the back, so that would be weird to like try to stick your paws in there. But <laughs> and she's such a long dog. I don't know if her arms will reach. Be like T Rex time. I would love to have Ashley Ehas on on the show and talk to her about totally. this campaign. So I'll see if I can get that going and make it happen. Thank you for if that. If anyone can, it's you. Ah, thank you so much. And thanks for these submissions. And uh, good day. Um, it's a good day. That I swear, I swear, Dana, that Department of Homeland Security ICE workplace raids news so is good. so big and so huge. It really is. It really is. Uh, mm, about time. About time. Well, Clinton did it and Obama did it, but we're back. Yep. <laughs> so, <laughs> we just, there was a little blip. It was like a four-year blip, five-year blip. Oh, oh, blip <sighs> killed us all almost. Yeah, I know. And we're still fighting back. All right. Uh, any uh, final thoughts before we get out of here today? No final thoughts today. You just right. give us our sign off. Yeah. I will. I will. And tomorrow there is no Amy, only Zool. Uh, Dana will be filling in. I will indeed. For the good news tomorrow. Amy is still being a rock star. And, um, I think she'll be back the week after. I don't know. Well, no, that's the week I'm off. You know what? Don't worry about it. It's going to be a great show. And until then, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet and take care of your mental health. I've been AG. And I've been DG. And them's The Beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com.